Hi guys, Gareth here, co-founder of Thrive App, and I'm here with my other co-founder, Jeremy, who also happens to be my brother-in-law. Thank you, Gareth, and hi, everyone. Hey, Joe. <laughs> yeah, hi, sis. So yes, we've barged in on Brett and George to tell you all about Thrive App in under one minute. So that leaves us about 40 seconds. Okay, okay, let's cut to the good stuff. So Thriver App Beta is currently live on the App Store and on Google Play. And what we're hearing from our members is it's doing exactly what it says on the tin. It's helping them to design and live their very best life. And right now, Float Your Boat listeners can download and join the beta version for free. Free? What sort of business model is that? It's a great one. And if you want to get access to the upcoming Thriver Plus release, which also has your personal AI coach, Max, and your Five to Thrive, best life system, then pre-register on www.thriverapp.com to access some upcoming Kickstarter rewards. All right, can I can I jump back in here? You sure can, BFAM. All right, so I really want to let the listeners know that Thriver App already has over 4,000 behavioral change tools that can help them embed the habits and the life systems of some of the world's best minds. 100%. So if you like the idea of having your own personal AI coach in your pocket, helping you live your best life every day, then again, jump on thriverapp.com and register for our exclusive Kickstarter perks. All right, we best hand back to Brett and George now. So cheers, guys. Drinks are on us. Cheers, everyone. See you <sighs> on Thriver App. <sighs> I'm doing the Winhoff method, method uh, or, or <laughs> should I say method, uh, as uh, the old Surrey Hills boys would say. Yeah, have you heard of the Winhoff method? Isn't that the uh, Carl Water thing? Yeah, the Carl Water genius, the guy that can actually uh, um, melt snow. In you know, he he went he went barefoot and just in a pair of shorts across the Antarctic. I think. Who do we have on? Who do we have on today, Brett? Oh, welcome to Float Your Boat, everybody. I'm Brett yeah. Pattinson, and he's oh, George Sobodos, and I'm excited. <laughs> Oh, wait, there's more. Isn't that the normal thing you do? <laughs> oh, Brett. Brett, Brett, Brett. Come on. You know, I've changed my my my, uh, my style. I'm now the sexy voice, late FM DJ voice. That's not uh, what your wife says to me. <laughs> well, it certainly, it certainly comes into play when I'm staring at myself in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a few people out there have had that experience. I'm Brett? sure they have. Yes, sure. uh, yeah. So, so Brett, Brett, Brett. Yes. Hello, Brett. Yes, you there? George. Yes. Brett's faded away. I'm putting on. Have I faded away? No, you can hear me, Kate. Brett, who do we have on today? Today we have Andrew McManus. And what's so good about? Well, <laughs> I don't know if anything's <laughs> what, good about. What's so good? <laughs> Jeez. What's his story? <laughs> Andrew, I've known Andrew um, since the early 80s. Yes. Um, Andrew is a very, if you're in the music industry, Andrew is a very famous uh, rock promoter. So right. He, so he's, that's it? That's about it, yeah. So. <laughs> so hang on a minute. So you've known him since the 80s. He's a famous rock, promo- rock promoter. A rock cro- and that's- promoter. <laughs> <laughs> my lips are parched, Brett. I have to take a. I have to get a sip of water. Sorry. I'm just. Uh, I'm just going to his profile. Uh, no, uh, once again, gee, when you Google, again, when you Google him, <laughs> once again, you've stunned me with your research. Hold on, it's got to be something on him here. I, no, hold on. I, I, his his PA sent me some information about what. Look, he's. <laughs> Sounds like I don't know anything about. No, I, is he really your mate? You've known him since the eighties, have you? You couldn't have known him very well. I've done quite a few tours uh, with Andrew over the years, or, the, or our band has. We most recently we did uh, the UB Forty tour in two thousand and fifteen. Um, yeah, right, right. And why was he there? Uh, because he was the promoter, One of- World Entertainment. Oh, he was One World Entertainment, was he? He he is. No, he still is One World Entertainment. Oh, they're still around. Yeah, one person. No, driving. no, no. I think he's got he's got staff because he's got a PA named Melanie, who's lovely. She's yeah, a, and she's really lovely, actually. Very okay. helpful. Um, okay. And I'm just going to One World Entertainment uh, profile. Yep. Upcoming tours. Yep. He's got well. 
at the moment I can't mention he's got many tours going, but past tours, here we go. I'm just going into the website. He's done Chris Christofferson. He's done Boy Zone. He's done Under the Southern Stars with the Hootie Gurus, UMI, Eskimo Joe, Shepherd, Super Jesus, British India, The Getaway Plan, Scott Darlow. Chris yeah. Christofferson, right? Um, who the fuck is he? Was, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Oh, come you know, on, George. Did, did, he's, a, he's old, is he? Is he still around? He, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's still alive. American songwriter. Oh, oh, he, no, he, surely he's not still alive. He's got to be 110 in the shade. He had some big hits, George. I'll tell you what. Let me, I, I'm just trying. Mate, didn't he, didn't he, he do born, something with Barbara Streisand? Chris. Me Chris. and Bobby McGee, the only one I know. Now, help, yeah, help me make it through the night. <laughs> that's like. That's what your that's wife what says. I, <laughs> <laughs> that's what. That's what I say to to my my <laughs> afternoon beers, <laughs> but but I oh, he's a bit crusty now. He's ooh he's God he looks he looks worse than my mum. Oh he's, he's, a bit, he's <laughs> my a... mum my mum my mum was born in thirty five. He he was born in thirty six. But boy he looks he looks like he's had a hard life. Well, I, he's been on the road. I guess it's, that can be a tough life. It can be. Yeah, what about that other guy that that the other dickhead from from uh, New York? What's it, uh, Chris? Chris? <laughs> the other Chris. dickhead. He speaks oh. very highly of you. <laughs> We're not recording this, are we? No, that no, Chris. Um... Here we are. Chris. Chris. Krispy Kreme. Chris Rea. Chris. Chris. Chris Rea. Yeah, no, he's got some great songs too. Chris Rea. He's got yeah. that uh, Christmas song that I love. Which one? Chris Rea. Uh, driving home for Christmas. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I'm going to go and have a look at Chris Rea. Chris Rea. Oh, Christ. I've got to do Chris Rea songs. Uh, yeah. So why are we doing the research whilst we're uh, – why are we doing the research before – just before the interview. You know, there's, there's his brother, Crispy Urea. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we doing the research? Because we're trying to kill a little bit of time while we wait for Andrew. Yeah. Um, but you asked me what other tours he's done. Do, look, Andrew's done a lot of tours over the years. Mm-hmm. And he's an infamous character in the industry. Why do you say he's infamous? <laughs> Wouldn't he be famous? You wouldn't mess with Andrew, I would think. Yeah, why's that? Because he's tall. <laughs> oh, he's a big boy, is he? He's a, I, think, I think we will ask him, but I think Andrew started as a, as they call them these days, a style enforcer at Rocky. <laughs> What's a, what the hell is a style enforcer? A bouncer. They call them style enforcers. Now, yeah. What the hell does that mean? Well, you know, like you, yeah, you're not coming in, mate. Piss off. You don't. You haven't got shoes on, or you know that sort of style dress. You know, style oh, enforcer. So he, um, enforcer. So he, you know, tough. You know. So he went from just being a, a dorm doorman, right? Well, to being a promoter. Bloody hell! That's a that's a great that's a great story. There you go. That's why I thought it'd be good to get Andrew on the blower. But I'm just hoping that Andrew can work it out. Can work out the Zoom thing <laughs> because you couldn't. You said he's I still using he's still using a dial phone, isn't he? Like the old. Tick, 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 well, I hope not. I hope not. No, I think no, I think Andrew's pretty savvy with the with the tech stuff, and and if not, Melanie, his uh, assistant, would be certainly. I'll just turn my phone on just in case. I see he's giving, uh, he's giving, like there's a photo of him on the internet, right? And he's giving Stevie Nicks a bit of a hug. Stevie Nicks a bit of a Nick. Anyway, um, it, 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 were they close? No, I, but I think he toured Fleetwood Mac a couple of times, I think. Yeah, right. Did um, he ever, did he ever um, take care of, oh, he did George. Look at that. Look, George, bloody. Michael. Boy George. Boy George, yeah, that'd be right. Yeah. I oh, know he's done a lot of people. 
Who are these? Oh, Krusty's Roy Hay. Roy Hay. Mikey Craig and John Moss. Who are these blokes? They're rock stars, mate. Uh, do you know do you know them? Some of them. I yeah, know. Right. You get around. You get around the block, get around the traps. Man, boy George. Boy. He's <sighs> he's he's better looking today than he was uh, thirty years ago. Oh no, he was good looking when he was young. When he? He, oh yeah, geez! I remember the first time I saw Boy George. I thought he was a Sheila, and a good-looking Sheila. I would have shagged him, him, her, huh, huh? Boy George, you would have shagged who? Boy George. Oh man, you you in your in your rock and roll era, you would have yes, probably you would have. Well, no, he, George was beautiful when he was. When back in those karma chameleon days, do you remember him? What do you mean? Did remember you ever, him? Did you ever did you ever um, um, tour with him? Never toured with him, but have met him a couple of times. How how did that how did that happen? Oh, just at nightclubs, or you know, when he's when he toured, probably got invited to the after party or got mm-hmm. some free tickets. And how did you get invited to those parties? I was very very important back in. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, no. In all in all seriousness, so so there's obviously um, there's an A list. There's an A list, and there, there are places where all the A listers go, and they all meet each other, right? Correct. Do those places do those places still exist today? I would think so, but they're not the, the they're not the uh, the clubs. No, the, I think they. No. I don't know. I haven't I haven't been on the A list for <laughs> since 1986. So yeah. I don't know how they do it now, but I would assume they'd have an after party at a function yeah. room or a hotel uh, or, uh, or maybe some nightclubs, but there's not many left, is there? There you go. I've just found his bio. What? Touring artists include Kiss, Fleetwood Mac, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, Pavarotti, yeah, yeah. Andrew okay. Bocelli, Blondie, Simple Minds, Stevie Nicks, just to name a few. Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. That go. Hi, Melanie. Go. Hello, Thank God Melanie. for Melanie. Hello. Hello. Um, I say that every day of the week. I'm going to give you the tip. <laughs> Andrew, my name's George. How are you, mate? Hello, George. Pleasure to meet you. Likewise, likewise. So it's good to know that um, we're not the only ones that struggle with uh, with this kind of technology. I had a um, I had a uh, conference call with my immigration lawyer in the states this morning, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it actually oh. took me twenty minutes to work out how to get on. Yeah. His, on his Google thing, which we ended up abandoning and just calling talking him on his mobile. He gave <laughs> up. He gave up on me. I just couldn't get it to work. Uh, well, are they going to let you in? Um, oh, it's a process. It's like uh, it's, a, it's a weird situation where you can travel anywhere you want, except for America, which is like the most difficult place. But I've got a company there and a house there. Um, but you know, there's um, there's there's since Trump came in, he's made it extremely difficult. And yeah. now COVID, you know, they're, they're sort of doing a border lockdown. So, um, and the main reason I, I've got to go is. In back in uh, 2015, I was cyber fraud. I was sending some money across to Orlando um, for a big festival. We we're doing Moonstone, mm-hmm. and uh, we got hacked. And when I thought I was talking to Paul, my partner, he was—I uh, was talking to the fraudsters. And when Paul thought he was talking to me, they were talking to the fraudsters. Um, they even had the gall to confirm that the money was received. Me thinking it was Paul. Wow. And then on the 15th of December, I remember clearly he rang, Paul rang, he said, well, where's the 500 grand? And I've gone, well, what do you mean? You sent me an email through four days ago saying you received it. And on that, we both collectively lost our guts. 
<laughs> and realised that we've been robbed. Wow. Jeez, I'll bet. You never recovered the money, obviously. No, well, the bank was in on the rort, the bank manager, so we tracked it all. So we're suing the bank. And the, they've tried four times to get the case rolled, and we've won each time. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to go to a jury trial the 4th of August to 14th of August, but, of course, with COVID, that they abandoned it. Um, so it's now we're now going to be in court um, January, February next year, hopefully. Holy wow. shit. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, five, it'll be over five years by the time uh, we get to court. Yeah, that's about normal, isn't it? That's a normal time frame for legal actions. Um, just there's a lot of prevarica- prevarication that goes on beforehand, and uh, you know what? Oh. That's what people don't see. They think that uh, uh, legal cases are quite efficient. They're not at all. You know, Michael, our lawyer, he doesn't think the bank will want it to go to court, so he thinks, but they're just dragging it out and trust trying to cause us as much pain as possible, hoping we'll drop off or go away, which we're never going to. Yeah. Um, but that said, he still thinks that they'll make an offer on the steps of the court when, the, when, when and if we eventually get to court. That makes sense. That's, it, it's not as if it hasn't happened before. But yeah. No. So, but, you know, we've got to get to that point, and that's was I was very buoyant, you know, all through July, thinking, you beauty, you know, it's going to come to a head, and then I got the email. Due to COVID, all courts have been, you know, all jury trials cancelled. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, mate, but um, yeah, just a little bit more patience. And it looks like you've turned, you've turned incredibly white um, staying indoors because of COVID. I have. <laughs> yeah, you have. Look at I you. White. Look at you. You don't, don't have, you know, mate, you need a bit of colour. Well, um, thanks for that. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, Andrew, uh, welcome to Float Your Boat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I better yeah. say welcome. Listen, there's a call for me. I've got to go. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Andrew, uh, Brett Brett told me a lot about you. He said he's known you for over 30 years and, and you're a, a tour promoter. So, um, yeah. and that's, that's where he stopped. Well, <laughs> I was, tra- I was trying I to get two, out. You two must be very close. No, no, no. I, I said to you that don't mess with Andrew because he'll jump down through there and rip your nose off, George. I so think, be no, polite. No, no, those days are gone. Those days are gone. So, so I did, but I do, I do recall, Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, is you started out in the early 80s around Salinas. That's right, yeah. yeah. I, um, wow. I started, uh, well, basically I left school um, to procure and, pro- and proceed in the rugby world. And in those days, it was an amateur sport, so you had to have a um, license, or, sorry, a hotelier or you know, an employee, employer that was sympathetic to giving you time off, et cetera. So I was lucky to get employed by President Hotels all through Queensland and played up with Brisbane Brothers, Townsville Brothers and whatever. And then yeah. uh, I got to start with Warringah down in Sydney. Oh, wow. Which, which then gave me... I need, I need to get a job and I could transfer to Resh's Hotels Group, which is Tooth Brewery. Um, and then, uh, so I was at Monavale Hotel for some time and then I got uh, given my own hotel, the Rose Bay, in, uh, God, that would have been about 1982-ish, I guess. And uh, we turned that pub right around and, you know, I had uh, all sorts of things going on and one of them was the SP bookmaking in the front bar. Hmm. And I was laying off through this guy called Terry Page. Mm. Uh, who subsequently owned Coogee Bay and Salinas. Mm. And after about a year, the pub doubled and, of course, the brewery sold it from underneath me. And then I didn't have a job. Well, I was employed but didn't have a hotel to run. And Terry rang me up and he's gone, look, I you know, liked what, you know, what I see. Do you know anything about music? I said, absolutely nothing. He said, neither is the idiot that runs the room at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> when do you want to start? I said, I'll start Monday. <laughs> so, and, and it was as easy as that and I started booking Selena's and turned that into a, uh, a great little empire for him um, and subsequently along that ch- uh, charter I uh, met the Divinals um, that's right and uh, then uh, they one night were saying to me you know it was just very weird because Chrissy rang me on the Saturday I remember and going, oh, this is Chrissy Amplett. I go, oh, yeah. And she goes, um, you know, the manager of the band, of, of us currently, and I won't, I won't rename names, mm-hmm. is going to ask you for a $10,000 advance today. If you give it to him, I'm not going on stage. 
So of course, five o'clock comes and in, in walks the manager and he goes, I need five, you know, I need an advance on tonight's door because it's already sold out. Well, I said, sorry, buddy. Uh, your stars called me and uh, she said, if I give it to you, she ain't performing. And that's more important to me you know, than, than ruffling your feathers. So anyway, at the end of the show, um, I sat down with her and Mark and they said, um, you know, when we make no money, I said, I can't understand that. You just sold 4,000 tickets at $40 a head. Like back in 1984, 85, you know, that was a lot of money. Mm. Um, and uh, they said, no, nah, Richard, or sorry, you know, the managers and the two of them, you know, would they take their management fee and all the other costs and the production and whatever, we end up with basically nothing. So I uh, said to him, well, look, I'll, I'll do a deal with you. Give me three shows and I'll guarantee you both 20 grand each. And they went, it's impossible. And I said, well, it's not impossible because, you know, I'm prepared to back it. So anyway, I booked the old line in Adelaide, the Palace in Melbourne and Jindabyne, the Jindabyne Hotel. And then after the three shows are done, but I said to him, yeah, everyone's got to listen to what I say. So the bands, only you and Chris here in business class, um, we'll drive from Melbourne. We're not flying into Canberra or anything. I'm going to cut the costs to the bare bones. Um, drop some of the crew because you're over, you're over crude. And um, then at the end of, the, end of that, uh, Roger Mason and I were down at Jindabyne uh, after the show and we're cooking breakfast the next morning because I got the, them to put on accommodation. So I pulled every trick in the book to keep costs down. And uh, Chrissy comes in and says, all right, I want to settle. I go, all right, yeah, no drama. So I got Roger to finish cooking the breakfast. I went upstairs, knocked the numbers up, came down. I was having a coffee with her and Mark. I said, well, Mark, there's your 20 grand. Chrissy, there's your 20 grand. Just 47,000. <laughs> <laughs> From that point onwards, I was managing that band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it, you, you were you were entitled to it as much as all the other scallywags uh, used to rip. I mean, it's just not, it, Andrew, it's, it wasn't uncommon. It's well known that, a lot of promoters stiff bands they they just they just did that um why do you think that's that that was the case i don't oh, know i don't oh. know if it was promoters oh i think oh, it was managers, more management the manager the managers think, well, there's a lot of stories going around about now which are on the tabloids about managers ripping off artists but in my day see and it was impossible for me to rip them off because what we did we've devolved the, the vinyls inc and it was mark Chrissy and i there's a three-way partnership Yep. So that way, then I didn't take a management fee. Um, we just divvy up the monies at the end of each tour. Yep. Um, and that was a very different set of circumstances to any other band that I knew or being mm. managed, my mm. friend managing. Um, and, but in the current marketplace, and I, and I know, you know, what, you know, some of the people you're talking about because they're in the press, um, it's, you know, you're, in, you're definitely going to get found out, um, especially with accountants. Um, who you know do tax returns on some of these artists, and when they're talking of bigger money, like in the you know, hundreds of thousands and even into the millions, one of them I'm aware of, mm. um, it's pretty stupid by the the person who's you know purporting to be a manager and then ripping them off. You know, very mm. short sighted, and they will get mm. caught. So mm. that's what, why do you think a, they do that in the first place, Andrew? Greed, is anything? Yeah, right. Greed, okay. simple. It's a pretty simple word, isn't it? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> That's it in a nutshell. Yeah. So, Andrew, let's go back to the early days. So, after the Divinals, is that when you started like promoting shows? No, I was managing. Well, I, was, I, was, I always sort of was co promoting at Selena's because that was the deal I did with Terry. Mm. So, we had, a, we had a situation where I'd get $2 a head from each of the bands that played there and we'd split that. So, as a young bloke in his late, you know, early 20s, and if I had three good weekends, you know, whether it be Angels and Rose Tattoo, Hunters and Collectors and someone, you know, I, you know, I'd be walking out of there, you know, on, on a month, you know, eight, eight or nine grand cash for the month. So, like, I was, I was loving it. And that's where I got my first taste. Um, and then eventually um, the Divinals, um, I took them, their, their demo tapes. So one of the issues was when I first managed them, they were signed to Chrysalis Records. And they owed him a fortune and it was badly managed and badly created. So I got them out of that deal. And then once they were, they were free to um, record and look for another deal, we did some five or six tracks at the Music Factory in, um, in Byron. 
Yep. And then I hopped on a plane and I set up 57 meetings all around the world with different publishers and, and record companies. Um, and one of those meetings was in LA with Jordan and Jeff who were running Virgin Records at that point of time. Anyway, um, not unbeknownst to me, they then um, felt you know, pretty strongly about the band and Chrissy's, Chrissy's performances and who she was. Um, they approached Freddie DeMant who was Madonna's manager to see, you know, if he would be the manager per se, you know, anyway, um, then when I got the phone call from Chrissy and Mark saying, you know, they wanted to fly over and meet me. Um, and it was a deal that basically been done, but I wasn't that upset because it was a massive job to try to, you know, to try to manage a band like this and especially globally. So my deal was I kept Australia, New Zealand um, and part of Asia and Freddie had the rest of the world. And all I did really is follow him around for a year, um, building my little black book of contacts. Yeah, so, and, learning, and learning the ropes in a global sense. Is that right? Learning from the best. You know, it wasn't yeah, right. Any, it wasn't any bigger manager in the world than Freddie at that point of time. Um, but he was pretty cutthroat because after I touched myself, went hit the charts and was number one, mm. he called me up and I drove down from uh, Hollywood Hills where we had our house. And he basically just threw, you know, like he was just throwing me the keys. I said, what's that? He said, that's the keys back to your car. You're done. I said, what do you mean the car? <laughs> what? Said, I'm over. He said, there's no other hits on the album. I've got better things to do. You're finished. You got the band back to the world. And it was as easy, simple as that. So yeah, uh, well, I did go home and tell Mark and Chrissy that we'd been fired, um, which was met with devastation. That was one of the hardest conversations I had to have with them. Mm. So... We came back to Australia and we kept um, touring and then I kept basically getting jobs for them more so on to keep the band alive and current on movie projects. So we, I got, we did uh, Yahoo Serious' movie with Wild Thing, uh -huh. Ain't Gonna Eat My Heart Out Anymore uh, with another movie. We did a track this for um, Mario Brothers movie. Then I got them doing a track for uh, Melrose Place. We did I Touch, um, sorry, um, Just Sir With Love. So all these, you know, one-offs um, until, you know, things just became intolerable internally and I just decided I couldn't do it anymore. Took a year so, off, um, went home to the Gold Coast for a year um, and then realised that, you know, all I really had was um, my education. It was a little black book. So I rang up my buddy, William Morris, and just said to him, uh, look, you know, I want to get back into the, you know, doing something. He said, well, I'm looking for a promoter for Barry Manilow. I went, oh, yeah, that's cool. I'll do that. And that's how I started. <laughs> so, wow. so what what year was that at the end of the Divinals for you? For me, it was 1985. And that was sort of the downward slide for them after that, right? Yeah, they, didn't, they then went to Grant Thomas for a little while and uh, that didn't work. That didn't work, uh, end well. And Grant's a lovely bloke and he's too, too nice a guy to manage a band like, with the, you know, the, the fire and the internal conflict that Divinals which is what made it so special as well. Yeah. Um, and he unfortunately um, got, you know, toweled up. And uh, once that, that fell apart, it was pretty much the end of the band. It's, it's, it's funny because, I, I mean, I wasn't involved in the, like as an outsider, I, I always thought Chrissy was um, a feisty. She looked really feisty. Was she that kind of person? And did she really, and did she really have a gravelly voice? Um, she did. Yeah, and uh, what you saw is what you got, you know. Right. Age persona, um, as creative and, and as crazy as what that was, is was her outside as well, but also a big heart and very lovable. Yeah, and 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 this guy, this global promoter, Fred, he, he knew that well, after I touched myself, there was n no more he, hits. He was a global manager. Manager. Right, okay. So manager. did he, did he understand, I mean. That's what his decision was. You know, on the album, he didn't see there's any other hits in America. Right. Um, and you've got to remember, in those days in America, it was very much driven by radio right. um, and, and uh, the payola, that was the world of payola. Mm -hmm. um, and they were going to go spend tons of money on trying to get tracks played when he didn't believe that they had the substance of carrying the album. Right. So uh, right. he preferred to walk away and let me, let me have it back. So. And did it pan out that way for the band? Um, yeah, we never got, look, we, we had, I think there was a couple of um, other, um, what you'd call, milk success milk um yeah like the uh let me just try to think the songs we dropped but that they, they just weren't you know 
didn't stand the test of time. Um, and uh, like I touched myself did. Um, and, it, and it sort of broke through on such a huge global scale. And there wasn't, wasn't a strip club in the world that wasn't playing that song, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, I, um, yeah, I've milked as far as long, that's what I was saying, milk, milked as far as I could um, with then creating other single projects off movies. Um, and we kept going for another four or five years. Um, and, um, yeah, then it was done, yeah. So, Andrew, did you stay friends with with the Divinals right till when Chrissy passed away? Yeah, I was very close. I, I reformed them. Um, I can't remember the exact year, but we put the domain um, with Homebake. We had I got the band. I put the band back together for that project, and then a tour. Um, and yeah, no, Chrissy was at my. She flew down from my wedding in uh, what was that two thousand and eight. Um, and that's when she was starting to get quite ill. Um, ill but, from from what I know, I know there was an illness, but did yeah. she have a cancer or something? No, uh, yeah, it started with MS, which was oh. quite debilitating to her. Oh wow! Um, and um, we did a tour um, with Hugh Jackman and the Boy from Oz, and that's just a part of how beautiful a man that man is. He um, I was getting um, a friend of mine, Dougie Coleman, who was looking after Sydney Swans physio and whatever. He was coming to the shows in Sydney and giving Chrissy a rub down pre going on stage. And anyway, for whatever reason, Hugh picked up that there was an, an issue. So whereas when Chrissy was playing Judy Garland and it was somewhere over the rainbow, or one of the big hits of the, of the program, um, she was supposed to be come to the, go to the piano and then leave the piano and walk towards Hugh. Well, when he realised there was something wrong, he would actually take her by the hand and bring her back to the piano. Right. No one ever said anything to him. He had something to hold on to a prop. Um, and he's going, well, look, you know, I, I saw the physios coming in and out and you were sneaking them in um, constantly. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, um, I just wanted to do the right thing by her. And in doing so, um, it gave her great comfort as well, you know. Um, and they formed a great relationship through it. Um, but then after the MS, unfortunately, uh, she got breast cancer. Mm. And then that, that went into her bones. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, it's Gino from Bondi Broker. In today's changing times, the importance of health and financial security has never been more important. At Bondi Broker, we work with you to improve your financial security by offering free financial health checks, assisting in reducing your debt, and gain competitive rates to improve your cash flow. Bondi Broker gets you in the best financial health so you can focus on what matters most. Visit our website today for your free consultation at bondibroker.com.au. Flew over to New York to say goodbye and that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, And then subsequently, a few weeks later, we lost her. Right. It was very sad. I remember. I remember it well. Um, I have. I have very fond memories of the Divinals. In fact, uh, as you know, with the All Nighters, we were smart asses most of the time, and uh, we'd love to put on a show. We we did a support with Divinals at Sylvania yeah, Hotel, and we decided that oh, it'd be really funny if we wore um, dresses on. <laughs> <laughs> and when we came off, Chrissy was in the band room, and she took one look at me and said, "You bunch, of, you bunch of fucking asshole." <laughs> I always remember it with fondness. I have to say, <laughs> was she spitting chips? Was she? She wasn't. Because she wasn't very happy. But but no, in a, in her inevitable way, the next time I saw her, she was absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. No, she. Um. Oh, look, I suppose. Yeah. That was her armory and that was her trademark. And mm. I don't think like taking you know, people taking the piss or whatever. Mm. But deep down, she would have loved it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what I mean. The next time I saw her, she was straight as fine as. Well, yeah. well like just, I mean, not that it's, uh, you know, we, we, this, this episode's not all about uh, Chrissy, but she really was a fascinating character and, 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 and she lived large in the, in the minds of a lot of Australian rock lovers. Um, did she have. Uh, like was she did she have a happy life did she have a like a life that you, you would say oh, no, was she a good did. One? it was one it was i remember when we did because when we when we did the uh, the single i touched myself hmm. and the video 
And that's where we were introduced via the Virgin uh, family. Mm. Uh, Randy Jackson, who played um, drums on the, on the single, and Charlie Drayton, who actually played bass, um, was subsequently in future years, Charlie would become our drummer. Um, and she fell in love with Charlie and he, he and her. And I, um, I remember we, we finished a, a tour. Oh, we did a show over in uh, Perth. Um, and I had Chris Isaac come down for it. It was a big, a big show in, at Fremantle. And anyway, after the show, Chrissy um, said to me, this is a big secret, but Charlie and I, and I knew there was something going on, but I didn't know how real it was. But Charlie and I are going to catch the train back to Melbourne. Um, and basically, if we get off the train and we're still alive, it works. <laughs> I only get off and he's in a box. You know, it didn't. <laughs> ah, uh, so I was waiting with bated breath at the other end when uh, the train rolled into Melbourne uh, Central. And thankfully, they got off arm in arm. And uh, that was where the union started. Right. Subsequently, she got married to Charlie, lived in New York with him for some 12, 15 years, um, had a beautiful life, loved him dearly. He loved her. Um, she had some great friends in New York, um, not to mention, you know, on top of you know, her, her legion of, of fans and family down here in Australia. Um, but no, she, um, other than the health issues, she was, she was a very happy woman. Wonderful. So, Andrew... There's a million. There's been a million promoters in Australia, and you're one of the very few that have stood the test of time, and and one of the most successful promoters I know. Um, wh- why do you think you've been so successful? Um, it all comes down to one word: relationships. Right. Mm. Without those relationships, you, especially in the music industry, you you know there is there is no future. And they, um, that, and that's what I built it off. And, you know, from Freddie onwards, you know, uh, who then, you know, while I still was in America, you know, I met Doc McGee, who manages Kiss, who's become one of my best friends on the planet. Um, this beautiful man, Howard Kaufman, who I was sort of his tutel- tutelage. Um, and me, to me, he, he was my mentor. And uh, Howard, through the years, you know, managed... Fleetwood Mac, Chris Isaac, Lenny Krabs, all this under his main um, company, Frontline Management, which then had a partner with Irving Azoff. And Howard used to always protect me from Irving because Irving would always want to go out to market. And, you know, and Howard goes, nah, he's my boy. He gets the tours. And then tragically, Howard died um, after, not long after I did Aerosmith with him. Um, and Irving being Irving, um, sold, started selling the whole world tours to live nation model Mm. which cut me out of a lot of them so that's you know when when that all started happening that's when we sort of took the company from doing 60 70 tours a year down to hand picking them and you know resurrecting and recreating along the way um hence you know with under the southern stars festival now that's one of our main projects which you know our idea in you know, the initial stages will be to do that twice a year, once in the, you know, the late summer months of you know, March, April, and then once again, the beginning of, of um, the summers with um, November. And then again, you know, Doc still got me doing Kiss, 21 years I would have been with the band now. Wow. Um, and again, and it, it's all relationships, friendships. Keith Naisbitt is my one of my best friends who run, runs APA International. We get all their, their tours. And just with those good friends that I've got and built up, that gives us enough to do, you know, probably eight, ten tours a year. Um, and the size of where we are now, that suits us fine. And I'm not getting into wars on the global stage where with the AEGs or the Live Nations mm. and just living a happy life. Mm. Mm. Uh, Andrew, look, uh, you know, there's not a person in the world who... <clears throat> you know, who wants to try and, and, and do things in life that hasn't experienced ebbs and flows, right? So uh, name some of the most, um, are you willing to talk about some of, the, some of the low points in your life, like in terms of, you know, the career trajectory uh, and, and some of the high points? I suppose, yeah, well, you always, you always remember, you know, the low, low points, I guess, you know, one of the biggest low points was a ridiculous 
um, head in the sand project that I can I pushed on with, which was um, the concert I did in Sydney Harbour for New Year's Eve. Yeah. Um, and it just was fraught with hurdles and fraught with that and um, you know red tape and like we'd get through one set of issues with red tape of the RTA and getting a street closure and our own lane. So the next thing I know, water police wanting to not allow boats within X amount of, you know, metres of, of uh, the concert site. And so I had to then, you know, employ, you know, different uh, harbour masters. And it was, it was just a nightmare. And by the time I got all the permits in play, it was November. And I should have let it go. But I just was so big-headed and I spent so much time and effort on it. Um, and uh, unfortunately, by November, most of the people in Sydney already knew what they were doing for New Year's Eve. Yeah, it's a bit um, late. <laughs> so instead of getting where it should have been, ten or 12,000, it was Jamiroquai, Culture Club, Pet Shop Boys, Guy Sebastian. Like, the lineup was huge. We only got 3,000 and uh, ended up uh, torching over 3 million on it. And that was a oh. tough night. Um, and you're like holding the can for that. And then, you know, it was, um, I suppose, one of the biggest kicks in the guts of all time. And no one likes having an expensive seat at the concert. But when my seat was that much. Jeez. It was uh, really hard to swallow. Um, and it took a long time to bounce back from that. Um, but then on the other side, there's been great moments where, you know, forged enormous relationships with Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac over the time. Stevie and I, you know, she used to come down and do the, come to the races with us and stay at the house. And we bought a horse together um, and, um, you know, with Gay Waterhouse. And, yeah, we, we had some great, great times. Um, Chris Isaac, met his, his tours were always, you know, fun and successful. Um, and, you know, meeting those, those people and their managers and, and the... And the um, I suppose the satellite people in and around them is, is, is always memorable and, and fun times. Did you do the Fleetwood Mac tour recently with um, Neil Finn? No, unfortunately, um, that that was when I mean, and I I tried to get that tour, um, but Irving, when I spoke to Irving, he's gone. Look, I've sold it to Live Nation the world. He said, don't matter, doesn't matter what you offer, it's never going to be enough because the deal's already done. And they bought um, 140 dates. Right. So it was like, you know, I didn't even get a look in, which is not dissimilar to what they did with Coldplay with Chuggy. You know, he had, he had Coldplay for all, all the, from start to eternity. And then bang, they just pulled the wool from under him, bought the tour globally, and um, he got to sit on the sideline. Pretty cutthroat. I take it uh, that <laughs> sounds like that happens a lot. Well, ever since they that that's their model, and they're, they're a sausage factory. They, you know, um, I, I read a great comment the other day um, with a couple of the artists and managers. It was basically uh, live nations where tours and artists go to die. <laughs> <laughs> no creativity. Take the money and you know rob and cheat and steal as much as you can. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and that's that's their that's their model and. Uh, it uh, unfortunately bans when they, you know, they're especially at their twilights of their career and they get offered the big carrot. Um, they'll, yeah. they, nine times out of ten, they'll take it and, and get into bed with them. Very, very tempting, isn't it? It's, um, it, it's very hard to keep, um, uh, like any artist, it's very hard to keep consistency of revenue coming in. <laughs> you know, that, that. Oh, look, and with this COVID scenario and all the bands that you know, were, were going to be working and are now not, um, it's it's very very interest going to be very very interesting when the doors reopen um, on fees and attitudes and I know just even with Under the Southern Stars, you know when the when the tour was going to happen in last April, and you know there was demands by live on this sound desk and this many lights and this caliber of whatever, whereas now it's hey we just want a tour, mm. yeah. so. We're right in the middle of it, but what what are you hearing and seeing out there in the music world? Well, look, um, we we made it a strong case and to be the test case festivals for February March next year, um, and got a lovely letter back from the prime minister's office stating that you know all hats off to us and that's what they needed. Then they needed a roadmap, and um, that was then um, we we're given guidance to then start to each 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 
health department in each state, which was, you know, we're still going ahead with, um, but it was pointless speaking to Victoria or New South Wales over the last month when everything's blown up again in a second phase. Mm. So, um, but I'm hopeful that the meeting that the premiers are going to have today with the prime minister, which has uh, been on the news, re probably the, the point on the table is reopening the borders. Um, and that's the, that, that is the urgent part for any tour. And so right now there is no business. Mm. There is no, there is no future until the borders get open. And then once the borders are open, we can then tour and freely go from Sydney to Brisbane, et cetera, without having the fear of quarantine or being locked up, et cetera. Um, so common sense has to prevail and I hope it prevails sooner rather than later. Where are you based now, Andrew? Um, I live in Byron Bay, but our office is up here in, in Palm Beach in Queensland. You know, I just uh, I just had a bit of a chat about Byron Bay before you came on. Um, we did. I said, uh, you know, every every person from Bondi seems to end up there. You didn't live in Bondi before that, did you? No, I, I lived in Melbourne, but they're actually calling it Little Melbourne now. <laughs> Little Melbourne, I, yeah. Yeah, I walked down the street a month ago and I ran into five people um, that I basically left Melbourne to get away from. <laughs> yeah. Well, you better keep going north, mate. That's why, yeah, no, I'm serious. That's why I'm, I'm up at the Palm Beach House and Office and I've been here for the last month. So uh, so our podcast is called Float Your Boat. What what floats your boat these days, Andrew? Oh, look, I still have, love having a little flutter on the football and watching the sport on the TV. Um, yeah, and when I'm in Byron, you know, the beach and, and the fun and the sun, um, it's a beautiful place to live. And I've been there four years now. Um, and you know, riding the bike, which is the council I got to give them, and they have built great amenities for those type of uh, activities. Mm. Um, and you know, I suppose just getting up and 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 being alive that's probably the most exciting thing for me, you know. These days, after some of the things I've done in my life, it's been uh, <laughs> which we which we won't talk about. <laughs> yeah, well, no, like, you know, this is not a it's a PG rep level, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, PG. Well, it's 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 we we wax and wane, we we vacillate between PG and triple X. You know? yeah. so, oh no, sorry, R R rated. So Andrew, I was I was uh, in Harbour office the other day talking to Tony Grace and. He reminded me of a, a story that you might be able to uh, talk about on here uh, when the uh, Bay City Rollers came to Australia. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It so was about, he had my first tour together. That was funny. <laughs> so, every, every show we lost one roller. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Are, you talking about, are you talking about the first time they came to town? Uh, no, this would have been, this, this, this was a pub run. Yeah, right. uh, clubs and pubs. So this would have been back in, well, I was still running Selena, so it would have been early, early 80s. Yeah, right. And um, Les and they're all fighting and they're all carrying on and the manager was ripping them off in, back in London. Um, and the, the last last show of the tour was back in Selena's. And because uh, I, I think there's a band called uh, something Cats, I forget their name now. But by the time... The last show happened. There was Woody, and then the support band who were the that's, both that's it. <laughs> What happened to the others? They kept going, going home. Oh, they got, got the shits with each other. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was it was a manic tour, and I was trying to hold them. And I'm, I'm, I remember uh, Lance, who was my tour manager, sending him on several occasions chasing cabs to the airport to try to intercept them from going up, yeah, <laughs> going back to the UK. <laughs> And uh, oh, they're, they're a tribe of little grubs, but you know. Um, Tony was telling me about the the press launch that you'd had at up the road from Selena's when they first arrived, and that uh, Les got stuck into one of the other members at the press conference, and you you and you and Tony trying to <laughs> keep them apart from keep them apart. Yeah, you know, <laughs> oh, they were fiery. They were, they were dead said good Scottish. Scottish boys and they're going to knock each other and I was always on <laughs> different cars and we had to put him in and Les brought his girlfriend down and the, the rest of them hated her. It was like a real Yoko Ono moment constantly throughout and uh, it was, yeah, no, every day was, a, again, it was a colourful every day. It was a new day. You just didn't know what, what, how many you were going to have at the end of the day. 
and uh, whether they like, I think there was one one moment there. Les pulled a knife on the drummer, <laughs> um, so he then wouldn't come out of the dressing room, and ah, oh, it's just madness. It was like de- dealing with you know five four year olds. Weren't they supposedly mates from Glasgow or wherever they came from? Or is Edinburgh? Um, potentially in the early part, they could have been. Um, but their whole thing was the manager, or was this managers, even when the ba- they were Bay City Rollers right in the heyday, the manager was making all the money. Mm. And that was ah. just, they were on a salary. So that spoiled, and that spoiled their image of anyone in authority. Yeah, right. Any, anyone promoting them. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't know that back before we brought them down. And by God, we, we went through hell. <laughs> I, I reckon you'd have a million stories like I, that because I know that uh, when you put us on the uh, UB40 tour in 2000 and oh, maybe yeah, 15 yeah. or something, they were fighting big time then, the two, the two UB40s. Uh, fortunately, yeah. fortunately, the tour we did with you was the real UB40. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember that them travelling in separate buses and all that sort of stuff, so I assume it happened all the time. Yeah, well, they were, um, and again, when they were together, and like I said, so the very, very first tour we did, which I ended up taking them to through the Pacific Islands and the Tonga and Fiji and what have you, um, they were, you know, they were a lovely, lovely bunch to deal with, and they were actually, you know, quite a family unit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, eventually that all soured, and um, yeah, they, they, they'll never talk again. And it's just, it's just, it's just a real shame. Because Ali in the band with Astro is the UB40. Mm. You know? You're right. And Brian right. on sax and, and the rest of the band, Mickey on keyboards. That's the, you know, the band. Um, but unfortunately, there's a lot of hatred there now and they're not gonna have, never going to have a sit-down Christmas dinner ever again, I don't think. And they've right. spent a lot of money in court between the two of them. Like, Absolutely. You know, yeah. crazy. It's, a very, it's a very sad end to you know, stellar careers, you know, yeah. really. Yeah, and look, again, you know, um, when we first did Ragamuffin in New Zealand, that was, you know, like the year, because the year prior to it, I put UB40 on sale at Rotorua. You know, it was just mm. in, in the, in the uh, like the, the, what do you call it, um, theatre, or small theatre there, held about 3,000. Mm-hmm. That sold out within a day. Mm. Um, and I went to Peter Price, who was managing at that point in time, so I reckon we should move this outdoors because um, it just sold so quickly and that's because there's no alternative other than the, you know, the, the theatre. Mm. We put it into the football ground next door and got 12,000. And after that show, that's when Peter, Ali and I were sitting there and going, we should create our own festival. Um, and I remember sitting in Los Angeles at William Morris with a Kiko Rogers um, and just going over, look, I need some, you know, who have you got on your roster? It's reggae. And you know, we went through Stephen Marley's and all the Marley boys, et cetera. Um, and I still didn't have a name, but up, up on her post or wall behind her was the boat Ragamuffin. Yeah, right. And I thought, yeah. what a great name for the yeah. festival. And that's how we named it. It's a great name. It probably was a great, that was a great, a lot of open air shows, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, no, we did 10 years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in our planning and for planning ahead for next year, or 222, um, I'm seriously considering reinventing it um, and doing like a reggae weekend and then an urban the following weekend um, and just uh, going back to Rotorua to its original roots. Um, and we're quite buoyant and excited by that prospect. Okay, so I've got a band for you to put on that tour. I'm sure. <laughs> have, you heard that... of the, have you heard of the Skints? Who are they called? The Skints. S-K-I-N-T-S. Have a look. I'll send you some stuff. They're an English band. They're, they're, they're the new breed, without a doubt. Reggae uh, or urban? Sorry? Reggae. Well, well, it's like a reg. They're like a reggae, ska, hybrid, contemporary. Really great stuff. And if I was a promoter, I'd have them here in a heartbeat because they've got a huge following. Brett just happens to be their manager. <laughs> just, just, just so you know that, Andrew. <laughs> commission going to someone. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Don't worry, and I'll take he, that and off. He, and, he, and if he's not the manager at the moment, he will be as soon as we get off this Zoom call. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. So, uh, so, Andrew, it's, it's been a pleasure having you on today. I've got to say, Lovely, I, I, have, I have very fond memories of uh, 
being lucky enough to do some of your tours with the with the All Nighters. Thank you. Um, and uh, we always finish uh, the episode with a song, and mm. you've chosen a song by Disturbed. Yeah. Called Sounds of Silence. What and and uh, what? what why, why? Why is it one of your favourites? Oh, I just think it's an absolutely great, great rendition. And the first time I heard it, it just resonated uh, with me and the way their interpretation of the great Simon and Garfunkel song. Yeah. Um, and when it just when I'm riding my bike around Byron, I've got that playing. It takes me in a very happy place. That's a, that's the place we want we want yeah. you to be. Bike, when you say bike, you mean um, uh, you mean bicycle, right? It's it's an electric push bike. I got to be honest with you, and it looks right. like a Harley, and it's always getting me into trouble. Right, right. Um, so you're not a you're not a mammal, right? No, I, I, I do my best, but I just actually come out of a health retreat uh, at Guingana, and uh, funnily <laughs> enough, enough my wife's favourite. Third last day, I um, was getting up to actually like nine minutes fast walk, one minute running, nine minutes. Anyway, um, halfway through the fourth one minute. I uh, tore my Achilles. It spat me out the back of the oh, um, treadmill and I put a hole through the wall. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I'm a bit injured at the moment. <laughs> you injured pride, right? Well, oh, pride, pride and the Achilles. It's, like the it must be, it must be, must be hurting. But anyway, uh, I had it treated yesterday again with a specialist and he put yeah. electrode um, acupuncture into it. And yeah. Every time he zapped it, I was coming off the table. And I said, oh. dude, and then he said to me, well, if you had an opportunity to have either a tendon, Achilles tendon go, or a broken leg, you pick a broken leg every time. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you're in the right place for, for getting getting help because, you know, you, you know, if he fails you, you could go to those crystal, you know, those, those oh, people that wave crystals all over you. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah unfortunately, they, when they lift their arms and the hairy armpits, they get <laughs> One thing when I went to Byron, I realized there's three businesses I'd never go into. Hair, teeth. Or shoes. <laughs> or teeth. <laughs> teeth. They're, oh, missing, they're missing teeth up there, are they? No, no, no. The bohemians of, of Byron, <laughs> Byron right. have, have a great dental philosophy. <laughs> no. No, along with their armpits, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh. none, of them, none of them wear shoes. There you go, bro. Your shoes. <laughs> Andrew, thank, thanks a lot Good for giving you, us your time today it's been great uh, i'll let you know when we're about to put this up on uh on, yeah. the, on the world of podcasts it's been a pleasure mate and and i and i, and I marvel at how well how, how good you were at herding cats over the years marvel <laughs> <laughs> i really appreciate it thanks guys on you, mate. thanks andrew Thank bye-bye Hearing without listening People writing songs